The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. King Herod heard of Jesus and his disciples, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah, and others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers, for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oath and for his guest, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Jamie McAdams, a couple days ago on Facebook, he, he posted a picture of a sign that he wanted to, um, to purchase for the church, and it says, if you want to park here, you have to deliver the sermon. <laughs> when you get a gospel like that, it's one of those mornings I wish somebody had my parking spot. The, the, this reading from Ephesians, though, jumps out. Um, it's very different than 2 Samuel and, and Mark. Um, all the parts about God's blessing. And I keep getting these emails from people in Africa who want to share God's blessing with me if I just send my bank account and routing numbers. 
so I thought it might be a good chance to talk about God's blessing and being blessed. And if I'm honest with you all, sometimes I struggle with the way that the language of being blessed is thrown around. And it reminds me um, of a story of an old guy named Mitch who obviously didn't grow up in the Episcopal Church because he'd sneak away on the weekend to the horse track. And on occasion, he did moderately well, but it was usually a losing proposition. So one day, he was there betting on the ponies and losing his shirt when he noticed an Episcopal priest um, who was wearing a cassock, so he went to Swanee and not Virginia where I went. And he steps out on the track and he blesses the forehead of one of the horses that was lining up in the fourth race. And lo and behold, this horse, a very long shot, won the race. So Mitch is interested to see what the priest does in the next race. And sure enough, he watches the priest step out on the track for the fifth race, and he places a blessing on the forehead of one of the horses. And Mitch makes a beeline for the window, and he places a small bet on the horse. Again, another long shot but that horse won the race. So he collects his winnings, anxious to see which horse the priest bestows his blessing on for the sixth race. Of course, the horse it wins and it goes on all day and, and Mitch is winning more and more, beginning to pull in serious money. So at the last race, he goes to the ATM, he withdraws all of his money and his life savings and he awaits the blessing from the priest. True to the pattern, the priest steps out onto the track he blesses the forehead, the eyes, the ears, and the hooves of one of the horses. He had bet every last cent from his winning, and so he watches the race with great anticipation, screaming and yelling, and then the horse comes in dead last. Mitch is dumbfounded. He makes the way to the track. He finds the priest. Father, what happened? I've watched you all day, and you've blessed horses, and they've won. The last race, you blessed a horse, and now it's lost, and I've lost all my savings thanks to you. The priest nods wisely and says, Well, my son, that's the problem with you non-Episcopalians. You can't tell the difference between a simple blessing and last rites. <laughs> Had to find some way of getting into the whole blessing conversation, and so my, that was my best effort. Uh, we, we throw around that word blessing all the time. Um, we throw it out a lot, and, and, I, and I worry sometimes that the abundance that we find in our lives when we have those moments when we feel that there are things that are working and everything is going well, we begin to think that that's God's blessing. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeing that as a gift from God. Everything in this world is a gift from God. But I wonder what happens when we mix that with blessing. And so, if we are so blessed from that abundance, what does that mean for people who don't live as comfortably or as securely as we find ourselves in the moment when we're talking about God's blessing? Is that blessing or is it something else, maybe privilege? And if it's privilege, the question then becomes, how are we stewarding that privilege? But that's a different conversation. And so, I wonder if we see God's blessing, if we use that old language, if it begins to set us apart from other human beings, does it foster a sense of disconnection from each other? 
Does it create a void in human relationships? While we still might respond to what deep down can't be right in this world, we somehow find this contentment with what is unjust because, well, some are blessed, which means that some others are not quite as blessed. And it becomes a sense of, of life and God's divine order. See, the problem, if we keep saying it long enough, we might even believe it, that God has not only ordained what we see as blessed, but actually wants us to have it over other people. Then what about everybody else? Which is why I wonder if we begin to think this way, do we become more comfortable with the status quo? Because I guess I'm just blessed. I find the passage from Ephesians to give us an alternative way of looking at blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. He has destined us since the beginning of time. It's an alternative way of looking at blessing. It is not the life that we have that is the blessing, but it's the reality that God has chosen to love us in the beloved or in Jesus. These might be the most important words we can read this morning. We have been destined since the world was created to be children of God in love. This is what salvation looks like. Nothing can make us unloved. Nothing can change this bond that we have with God. This is what God's blessing is. It's not health when we find ourselves healthy. It's not our prosperity. It is not the number of good friends. But it is the reality that we are loved deeper than anything we can imagine. That is a heavenly blessing. And what happens? It's a beautiful thing when you know that you're loved. This is the promise that God has made to us. It is the promise we live into as we gather here today. It's the promise that we make whenever a child or an adult or a young person is baptized. I have to admit it gets a little tricky when we realize that that same promise is made for everyone else. This is why we respond. It's why we can't be satisfied when we encounter injustice or pain or suffering. God's love reminds us of the human family and our deep connection to one another. If God loves someone else as much as God loves you and me, then we better do our best to find a way of loving that person too. God's love is much bigger than all that other stuff with everything else. So what do we do with everything else? all the things that we often give thanks for in our lives if it's not God's blessing. That's what we become good stewards of. We pray to use all that we have in this world faithfully. I love the prayer. So, 
little trick on the preacher's end. If, you, if you're frustrated with the gospel readings, we often turn to the colic, that little prayer at the beginning that is trying to sum up and make sense of the readings. O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of us, your people who call upon you, and grant that we may know and understand what things we ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. In my words, God, give us understanding how to live with your blessing. Because we know that we are loved, we ask that we trust and have the power to use all that you have entrusted us with to share your love with this world. So let us go forth to live with this confidence through your spirit. Amen.